podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today we are joined by Amy Canavan and Natasha Miko for the Big Axon Dial-In. We do have listeners coming onto the show to discuss various topics uh, that they bring up, Natasha. So it's a fair way of getting people involved. They want to talk about X, Y and Z. We bring them on the show and we throw it out. We throw it out to the contributors and also to the audience. Yeah, it's a great idea, isn't it? Um, ever since you guys started doing this on a Wednesday, I thought, what an excellent idea. We obviously get the live comments coming as we do it, but a better way of engagement is just to have these people come on and have the discussion with them. So it's great that people are keen on that and want to get involved. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we what we bring up today. First up, um, there's been a lot of talk around you know various different ways of investing in Celtic. We've had Conor McGregor talking about acquiring shares from... Uh, Demet Desmond. We've had Celtic Trust, uh, you know, they have pushed the Celtic shared added value, getting a a bit of added value by having a share in the club. Um, And we're going to look at other ways. And uh, David Slight, who you may know from a Celtic state of mind previously, has a fantastic knowledge of German football. He's going to talk to us about the German model and whether or not that would work in Scottish football and for Celtic specifically. We'll look at the pros and the cons. I think it's always great, Amy, to bring in an expert or a specialist in these fields, someone who uh, maybe has a more of an interest, more of a knowledge of German football, um, as well as the Celtic game, to say, well, this is uh, why I would implement it in Scottish football and he, here are some of the issues that it's created as well. Exactly, not me and you. I am um, no I spoke to David a few times and um, been on the bullet a month on before and I, I thoroughly enjoy it and I'm looking forward to, to hearing his views. Like you say, his knowledge of German football, French football, European football as a whole is mighty impressive. So yeah, looking forward to it. 
brilliant. Now, uh, Colin, what's not here? You might have noticed, but um, disaster. You know, they're just going able this week. We've had Kevin Graham, Colin Watt, but Colin will be back tonight to cover the game. So you will be seeing uh, Colin this evening for the St Johnston game, and we'll also be covering the women's game against Glasgow City. Big match tonight as well. But uh, without any further delays, let's bring in David Slight to talk all about the ownership of football. How are you doing, David? Hi, Paul. I'm doing fine. Hi, team. Hi, Excellent. Dina. What's the jersey over your shoulder there? It's a Borussia Mönchengladbach jersey, alongside a Celtic one, I must say. Excellent. Yes. So you do have a, a knowledge, we've spoken previously, a knowledge of German football. Uh, you're a member at St Pauli. And um, you are, are on to speak about different models. How could uh, the 50 plus one German model uh, be implemented? Could it be implemented? What would the pros and cons be? Give us a bit of background on how um, that was introduced into German football, David. Well, it was introduced. Um, it was introduced uh, relatively, relatively recently. I think uh, round about the turn of the century. Before that, believe it or not, German football was run on a not-for-profit basis. Um, but but uh, there was a, a groundswell of opinion that um, uh, private investorship should be allowed. Um, and the 50-plus-one rule was, was enacted in, in legislation in Germany to come into force. And it basically means that private investors are not allowed to acquire any more than 49% of the shareholding in, in, in one club. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 but pulling that trick off in in Scotland or in the UK in, in general is, is you know is a, is a difficult um, a difficult thing to do. But you know in the last month we've had the European Super League shenanigans. We've had the Celtic Trust's eminently reasonable proposal that season ticket holders be compensated for lost value with with shares in in the club rebuffed by Celtic or at least kicked into the into the long grass. Mm. Conor McGregor, as you were saying, sounding off about acquiring shares in the club, and you know that 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 sort of thing really worries me because whether you're a fan of Dermot Desmond or not, you know I'm always relieved that you know the club's largest single shareholder does at least have some feeling for Celtic traditions and the ethos of the club. 
But I'm concerned, very concerned, that a majority shareholding in the club could fall into the wrong hands at some point in time. And, and given the recent demonstrations of fan power that we've seen down south, particularly mm. Manchester United, Old Trafford and, and, and Chelsea, um, you know, I, I wonder if now is the time for fans to, to lobby clubs, but more importantly, MPs and government for a change in legislation to enact something similar to the model that, that exists in, in, in Germany, um, which does work well. And, and German clubs distinguish themselves by, you know, not getting involved in the European Super League, Super League set off and, and, and set up. And we're, we're, we're certainly conspicuous by their absence, but it's a difficult thing to do. It would require legislation and it would require really a sort of, you know, groundswell of opinion and, and movement, I think, by fans, not just at Celtic, but across the UK to bring something like that into force. But, I mean, this this month's when Saturday comes is 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 full of, you know, sort, you know, kind of debate about this and, and, and how, re, you know, suggestions for how sort of something like that might might be brought to, might be brought about. But it, 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 it's going to require legislation. Legislation exists in Germany and mm. legislation needed in the UK to bring something similar about as well. When you look at the, the German model, are there exceptions to the rule, David? Because I know that some clubs have been owned by companies for a long time, so they predate the legislation. Is that is that the case? Yeah, that's the case. So you've got Bayer Leverkusen who are owned by Bayer, founded by Bayer, in fact. Um, Wolfsburg, who founded by the workers at Volkswagen. I think Hoffenheim were founded by an individual, and that, that's a, that's another exception. But the, the big one that everybody knows about and always discusses is um, RB Leipzig, uh, and they did they did work around the rules. They acquired the, the old Leipzig club under a different name, and they only had a handful of members, and um, and uh, were able easily to acquire a sort of majority shareholding in the club then, and work around it, and then work their way up through the leagues with. Um, with, with massive investment, and that's why um, they're, well, let's just say, not the most popular um, club amongst their fellow Bundesliga members. You know, when I look at that, I always think to myself, well, what's the downside? What's the catch? Um, has there been any examples, David, of where this has gone wrong, where perhaps, um, you know, outside investment may have um, bettered the situation of a football club, but because of the rules, they were unable to, to get that outside investment? I, I can't. I can't think of any. I mean, the, the powers that be at, at, at Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund are acutely worried about the, 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 the situation in European football and, and the ability of German clubs to compete at, at, uh, at a European level. But, but I mean, I, you know, if, if an investor wants to, if an investor wants to come into a club for the right reasons, I don't think a fifty plus one rule will, will, will hold him back. It will only it will only deter investors who are in it to to, to, to prioritise making a buck. If you've got the club's best interests at heart, I don't think a a forty nine percent limitation on uh, on on shareholding in, in private hands would, uh, would would deter anyone. When you look at the ownership of the club, Natasha, and obviously we were involved in the, the Q and A the open mic night when Celtic Shared spoke to a number of online groups to talk about some fears around what the actual process was that they were proposing um, and whereby they were talking about the added value 
um, and, and you know taking shares in the club instead of taking money out of the club um, but it seems as though the club are reluctant to uh, go down that route that's something that the club don't seem to uh, want to entertain um, is that dead in the water or is there still uh, discussions to be had there do you think? I certainly hope there's still discussions to be had. Certainly we've not heard from anything from the club that suggests that it is dead in the water, simply by the fact that we've not heard anything from them in terms of what they are going to propose. So until they come out with their own proposal, until they come out with their own ideas and their own suggestion or whatever you like in terms of what we are getting in terms of added value, then we have to assume that all options are still on the table. So until we have this communication from them telling us what this added value is, we have to maintain the position that all options are on the table. And the fans would prefer an option that keeps the money at the club. And by an option of keeps the money at the club, I don't mean a voucher for the superstore. Um, I think that that wouldn't go down particularly well. So as far as I'm aware, share proposal is still on the table. Um, but I do hope that the club engage in some dialogue on that soon. Uh, and I, I don't know that, Paul. I mean, I, I, as you know, I've got a, a kind of hospitality season ticket at Celtic Park. I've been offered a refund um, or, or a rebate off, my next, off next year's season ticket um, to take into account the, the loss of value this season. And it's a reasonably significant sum. But I, I don't want that money back. I'd far rather leave that money in Celtic in, 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 return for, in return for some sort of stake in the club. But, you know, I, I, keep, keep, keep the few hundred quid that you're, you're going to take off my 21-22 season book. And, 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 and I'd rather invest that in the club. And I, I'm a bit mystified as to why there's the reluctance to go down this path. You know, when you look at some of the feedback, Amy, uh, Amy is still with us, although she's not appearing on the screen. She is not? still with us. Um, when you look at some of the feedback we've had from the meetings this week, Amy, uh, with various supporter groups, it sounds as though the club don't have a plan for added value. They're actually asking for suggestions around added value. Now, Natasha said that it needs to be something um, quite substantial. What could the club do, do you think, um, that would suffice the uh, expectations of the fan base, Amy? Is there anything at all? Uh, because, I mean, when you're looking at what they can offer, there are certain things, like Natasha says, you know, discounts in the shop. Um, there's a membership scheme at a lot of clubs whereby you buy into that club and there's um, various priority schemes, etc., that you're part of. Would that be enough? Would it be enough to have a season ticket that allows you into the Colts games next season, the women's games next season, Celtic TV subscription other than the live games, digital Celtic views, Celtic programmes? Is that enough? It's a tough one because, as you say, is it really enough? I, I know we're kind of then biting off we're saying that there needs to be something but then when you ask me what is that something then I can't really say what suffice because I think there's so much that the damage has been done and as, as Natasha rightly said you know no proposal or plan is really off the table so to speak or so we hope because there's been no sort of communication so we have no idea what plan there is as you say if there is even a plan so really anything is still up for grabs as you say the membership that sort of if it let you into as you say the games the women's game the, um, the Colts whatever as you say a discount at the shop whatever it may be there's there's need to be quite a lot it would need to be some sort of package absolutely it couldn't just be like one additional thing you know or get, getting into the women's game getting into the Colts it would need to be a magnitude of, a magnitude of things sorry there need to be quite a, a group so 
you know, everyone is open, everything, everyone, sorry, I'll expect different things. Some will maybe, like you say, for them, maybe a discount on next season's trip would, would be suffice. If Maybe if you've got four kids, you know, that some of the, the kids' prices for kits is, is ridiculous. So the, there's little things like that. You could, they all would amount up, of course, but is there anything absolutely suffice right now? I think we'd need to totally um, throw something out there really quite spectacular. See, when you look at the, the membership um, that you've spoken about before, David, where you're able to have a membership of a club, and you can do that remotely. You know, you can have a membership of a German club, for example. What kind of benefits do you get as a member that could possibly be implemented as part of this added value for uh, season ticket holders? Well, me- membership of a German football club typically costs in the region of €60 per annum, but it's not expected. Um, you get the sort of things you expect, like... 10% off purchases in the club shop and so on and so forth. But you also get an invitation to the AGM. Of course, the whole thing's in the whole thing's in, in German, so you have to muddle your way through that. But, but you get you get voting, and you, you, you do feel like you have you have some sort of stake in the club. And, and just the, the communication by German clubs is way better than what we have. Here. My biggest beef with the last 12 months. Has not been so much happened on the park, and I, I know it, I know it's been a massive season as an understatement. But it's been the lack of communication for, forthcoming. And just by way of contrast, Borussia Mönchengladbach had their own PR disaster in November last year. They, they launched a 120th limited edition anniversary strip, 3,000 available. They sold out in about an hour on the website. Website crashed. Total disaster. Lots of people unhappy. The club president issued a round-robin email to all the members within an hour saying, I'm sorry, guys, we messed that up, um, and here's what we're going to do to fix it. And they, and they, issued, they issued more jerseys on a, on a, non, on a, on a sort of non-limited edition um, basis. But it was, it was, it was recognised it was a mistake, it was a PR disaster, and they corrected it within the hour. But that, that's the kind of communication that's been regrettably missing. Celtic this season and I'm really sorry to say that it's a it's a beef that I have yeah, that's a beef that we've spoken about on a Celtic state of mind and I'm sure we'll continue to do that. There is a fans forum on Thursday, David, uh, and hopefully we'll have an update on that come Friday's bulletin. Now, thank you very much for joining us on the dial David. Hopefully we'll see you again uh, in the weeks to come and uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks very much. Right. Now, Natasha and myself, yeah. um, we do have a third member. Uh, it's just that the screen has died, but um, you can still hear Amy Canavan, who is... Uh, Normally on with Colin Watt on a Wednesday. We have a special guest lined up. Um, anyone who follows Great Pantheon 18 on Twitter uh, will find that a fascinating Twitter account. And they want to come on to speak about this season as a whole, but in respect of Neil Lennon. Now, I think there's been quite a few people criticising in the past uh, a Celtic State of Mind's narrative around this season, who was to blame or who should take responsibility. Uh, And some have said it's been a bit one-sided. Now, it would be an absolute... uh, It would be remiss of us not to speak to the other side of that argument. So we're going to welcome Great Pantheon 18 into the show. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm very good. I just wish we were speaking in better circumstances, celebrating the pain, but... 
Absolutely. Don't we all? Absolutely, yes. No, welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. One of the best things this season has been the uh, way we've been able to interact with Celtic supporters um, throughout a season that, like you say, we were hoping would be memorable for completely different reasons. Um, So let's talk about Neil Lennon. There has been um, a lot said over the months. Um, There's not really been much in the way of support, I've got to say, on a Celtic State of Mind after a certain point. Nothing personal. Uh, There's certainly not been any attacks on Neil Lennon's character or on him as a a person. But there's been so much this season, hasn't there? I mean, where do you start, uh, Great Pantheon? Where would you start? Where was it? Where was the the first signs there was an issue this season for you? I think what we have to do is go back to the very beginning of this when Neil was appointed as Celtic manager uh, back in February 2019 when Brendan Rodgers left the club to go to Leicester. At that stage, that's where the narrative began. People said they had zero credentials to be appointed into the job in the first place. The narrative is that from day one, standards have slipped, the team have regressed, there's been unprofessionalism, and this has resulted in Celtic losing 10 in a row. It's totally, that narrative is so far from the truth, it's unbelievable. And it's frankly, astounds me that so many people buy into it. Celtic have been suffering problems going all the way back to April 2018. That day, Celtic, as we all remember, beat Rangers 5-0 and were heading towards a double treble. In the next 26 league games, which were managed by Brendan Rodgers, this great coach who we say left in ruthless winning machine, Celtic lost five games in 26 in the SPFL to five different SPFL teams. Neil arrived and got the treble over the line. That was no easy task. The first two matches were in Edinburgh against Hibs and Hearts. In Brendan Rodgers' last six games in Edinburgh, he, lost, he won only one of them. But then after the Scottish Cup final, the fans had it in their head some kind of fantasy idea that we were going to get Rafa Benitez or Jose Mourinho. That was never on the cards. And as such, Neil was treated poorly from day one and people were waiting for him to fail. If you look back at last season, after losing five of our last 26 under Brendan, we only lost three of the next 51 under Neil Lennon. That's just a fact. Goals per game went up by 50%, from two goals per game in the league to three goals per game. Wins went up. Some players had career-best seasons, Ryan Christie, Edward, James Forrest. So then we hit March. We're heading towards the league title, COVID hits, and Rangers get the ultimate reset button, and that's where Celtic's problems started. When you, you look at the, the facts, as you say, the stats there in relation to the performances, um, I'm going to ask Natasha this one. Do you think the Celtic support, because of course, a Celtic state of mind was covering, um, maybe not on a daily basis, we were covering Celtic on a week-to-week basis back then. Um, do you think Celtic fans had any concerns? I mean, I remember the Scottish Cup final um, that you, you mentioned there, whereby the job was made permanent after the game. There was a lot of Celtic fans talking about it then. But this, the following season, and, and in particular, you know, the upsurge of some of the performances after Christmas, Natasha, I think uh, Celtic fans were looking at some of these performances and, you know, the vast majority of them that were speaking to us on a Celtic state of mind were quite happy at that stage. Um, so, yeah, I, I get that 
Celtic fans were looking for a like-for-like replacement when Brennan Rodgers left. But because we were winning games and because we continued with our success, Natasha, do you think Celtic fans were happy back then? I know I know the season ended early, prematurely in the March, and it did give an opportunity for a, a huge reset um, by Rangers. But I, I can't remember back then many Celtic fans. There would have been some. I can't remember many calling for Neil Lennon to leave or that we had to get a bigger name in or someone of a bigger stature. It's the nature of football, isn't it? It is. When you're winning, you tend to complain less. Fans like winning and they focus on the positives. When things aren't going well, they then start to become more negative. And that just is the nature of football. I don't think it's right to say that the fans had no concerns at all um, from the minute that Lennon was appointed after that cup final. I think the resounding reaction from the fans was negative. I think they did expect something better, perhaps rightly or wrongly, in terms of calibre of manager. That didn't happen. But then the win started to come in. And of course, as a fan, that's what you're focused on. But I don't think it's right to say there were no concerns. Perhaps they were more in the background and perhaps they were more muted by the fact that we were continuing to win games. But the concerns were there. You only have to look at some of the, the narrative coming out from the supporters groups, the Green Brigade's banners about falling asleep at the wheel, the fans recognised that there was a possibility that this wasn't going to go as we thought it was and wanted to put beyond doubt that we were going to be able to achieve what we'd set out to, which was the 10 in a row. There were warning signs. Yes, they were more muted because of the wins, but I don't think it's right to say the fans didn't see this coming to an extent. They couldn't have predicted this. Nobody could have predicted COVID or what would have happened, but the fans did see the possibility that this wasn't going to go as we wanted it to. Now, that banner, I'm going to to use that uh, as a point here. If I come back to you, Great Pantheon, uh, we talk about the banner, don't fall asleep at the wheel. I think on a Celtic state of mind, yes, we have been critical of Neil Lennon this season, but we have uh, also been critical of other figures within the club. Uh, So let's go back to, for example, one of the things that a lot of Celtic fans have spoken about in defence of Neil Lennon is that he didn't get the opportunity to select his own backroom team. Now, again, I can't remember many complaints about that when we were winning the league and getting over the line um, and then going on to win the nine. But it became a problem. It almost became a problem when we stopped uh, the success, when we stopped winning the games. And we started focusing on the fact that John Kennedy was there, that Gavin Strachan was there, that Damien Duff had left, that perhaps Neil Lennon had tried to get certain individuals in and he was unable to do so. Where do you reckon that is in the great scheme of things when, it, when we look at the failure this season? Was that a massive element of it? Would it have been better if Neil Lennon had the opportunity to get his own team in the, in the dugout? I think it's a bit of a misnomer because the team of Neil Lennon and John Kennedy won a treble for Celtic. They were the first managerial team at Celtic to lead the team to copy a Europa League group. They were the first managerial team for Celtic to win an Italian soil. I think it's just lazy journalism and lazy reactions from fans when they look at the likes of John Kennedy and they just they don't know what he does. They don't know what his role at the club is. And they speak about him as if he doesn't have a clue. If we go and get some guy from Belgium or Holland, they'll do better. The fact is, John Kennedy has been on the exact same training courses as these guys. The only thing that differentiates John Kennedy to these guys is the fact that John Kennedy has experience working in a first-team environment, winning games, winning trophies. So I think it's a bit of a misnomer. 
when Neil took the job, he's a big boy. He would be knowing the conditions. So why hasn't it worked then? If I can put that to you, why hasn't this combination of Lennon and Kennedy who, you know, I don't doubt that Kennedy's a good coach. I've heard all of that. Everyone who gets coached by him speaks so highly of him. Managers like Brendan Rodgers speak so highly of him. Yet we've seen him take charge over the last, you know, eight, nine games and seen nothing to suggest to me that he's able to get a performance out of this team. So what would what would your opinion be on why that is? What is the issue at the moment that neither Neil Lennon or John Kennedy can fix? I think, as I said, the issues go back to March and when coronavirus hit. It's turned the season into a county and egg and spoon race. Obviously, some teams have had less obstacles in their way than others. Celtic have. People always jump in this and say it's not true and it's an excuse. But Celtic have suffered more than other teams with COVID. We went into the first derby of the season. Let's be honest, that's when things started to go wrong after the first derby of the season. We went into that game without Ryan Christie, Odson Edward, James Forrest. That's 60 goals for the previous season. We had to give five guys for Glasgow debut, derby debut that day. So... Oh, these things have got to be viewed on balance. I personally, given the cards that were dealt to Celtic this season, do not think any manager, including Brendan Rodgers, would have got the 10 in a row over the line, unfortunately. When we look at um, yeah the game that you mentioned, and obviously we were hamstrung by uh, circumstances and throwing young Welsh in, uh, I think he's come on to a decent enough season, but it was un- under circumstances that weren't ideal at that time. When you look at the, the signings that we brought in, so in the summer... Um, I can't lie you could go back on the Celtic uh, State of Mind podcast and uh, I was overjoyed with all the the players that were coming in looking at it being a a very good transfer window and it's with hindsight we look back and say you know what that was a complete overreaction and it's not worked out Um, do you think that Neil Lennon was back sufficiently and one of the big things about Celtic fans as well is did Neil Lennon get the players he wanted do you think I don't think I any manager in the world gets all the players that they want. However, I think Celtic did do good business in the summer window. It's just not worked out that way. I also think we need to remember the guys who are coming to Celtic are human beings. They're not robots. They're not cattle. Use, for example, Shane Duffy. Shane Duffy arrived at Celtic and he actually done okay for his first three, four games. The guy had problems in his personal life. And then between October and November, he played in eight different countries, 12 games in 40 days, against some top-level opposition, both in the Europa League and for Ireland. His confidence suffered and he just couldn't get it back. Living out of a hotel in Glasgow, no family around him. People don't see these things. Normally when a player comes to Celtic, he's taken under the wing by somebody like Scott Brown, integrated into the team. Celtic were turning up at Lennox Town, fully dressed for training, going training, going home and getting a shower in their own house and washing their own kit. There was no real chance to integrate these guys. Sure, with the benefit of hindsight, we could have maybe done it a wee bit better, but nobody had ever lived this tale before. Could you not say that for every team, though? Was every team not going through something very similar? Every team was suffering from the same 
you know, extra steps that we had to take. Everyone had to take these additional measures. Every other team signed players who weren't able to integrate with the squad, similarly to ours were. It just seems for some reason, and I can't put my finger on it, that our team suffered more because of this. Um, because Ranger signed players that didn't get to integrate with the team. I'm sure they couldn't all get dressed in the dressing room and hang out after training. Same with Aberdeen. Hibs, everyone had these issues. So why did it affect Celtic and our squad so much? Why was there such a disconnect on the pitch because of this, which didn't seem to affect other teams in the same way? There's various reasons why it's affected Celtic more. First, our players, we actually lost players through the virus. Odds Medward got the virus. We don't know what impact that's had in his form this season. Ryan Christie, two weeks, no training. These things affect different teams differently. Liverpool, it's affected them massively. You've got Saido Mane coming out only during this week to say he doesn't know why he's been so poor this season. He can't put his finger on it. So there's something unique about this season. Juventus, like Celtic, were going for 10 in a row. They've crashed and burned this season. This has not affected everybody equally. It's been a watery of season. Celtic could and should, if we could live this over again, maybe have done things differently. However, the level of abuse and almost crying that the fans have been doing towards people who have been hugely successful for Celtic has been a little bit disappointing, to say the least. When you, you look at the, the signings that come in, and I take account that you know virtually no manager will get everybody that they want, um, when you lose none of the players that uh, you know actually got us over the line to a quadruple treble, you lose none of those players, and then you um, supplement them with new signings such as the record signing goalkeeper, um, a Premiership player from West Ham, you know someone coming in from AC Milan to play left back, El Yunusi who had proved himself, and one of the hottest prospects in Scottish football, and David Turnbull. Yeah, you've got everything, um, all the um, you know exterior situations. Um, that COVID brings but you've improved your squad you've improved your squad you've got a squad there with a nucleus of players like Scott Brown and Callum McGregor and James Forrest that know how to win and they know what it means to be to be Celtic but we were unable to not even just match what we're doing last season but to improve on it and a lot of the things that uh, we have criticised that a Celtic state of mind um, and it wasn't personal it wasn't abusive was this mentality um, of the, the players or a culture um, at the uh, you know at the time and we're talking about things like ball and golly thinking that it's acceptable to fly off during the height of a pandemic or Jeremy Frimpong flying uh, a girl over from the States or Griffiths coming back from pre-season overweight and still uh, you know May the following year still not fit enough to play and as football fans who don't have the insight and don't see it day to day I for one and various others look at that and say well that's a culture that wasn't there before therefore I'm going to blame Neil Lennon uh, because he is responsible for instilling a culture within the playing staff uh, is that unfair to say that Great Pantheon? I would say it's very unfair to say it. You've used an example there of Lee Griffiths. His problems never started under Neil Lennon. They started under Brendan Rodgers. I'm pretty sure if you get through any manager's history, you'll find that the problem players, players who can't get themselves fit, etc. Ball and golly, that's just the act of 
I'll call that an idiot. Um, if you decided to go away and break rules and regulations, it doesn't reflect on your employer or your manager. It reflects on you yourself. All of these players were given detailed plans to follow during lockdown. 90% of the players followed those plans to the letter, 10% never. They're big boys. You can't look after them 24 hours a day. Now, uh, I take that on board, but I don't think for a moment that that would have happened under Brendan Rodgers. I really don't. I don't think that uh, that that level of indiscipline um, would have happened because, you know, you can't just say it's not um, any responsibility of the manager. It's the manager who's responsible for the players. Yeah, the players have an individual responsibility, but the manager manages that. And I think he failed to manage it. He failed to manage uh, Lee Griffiths this season. We're in May, and Griffiths isn't fit enough to start the game. That's ridiculous. And yeah, a massive part of that goes to Lee Griffiths. But I think the manager who um, obviously didn't take him to the uh, French uh, pre-season tour, the manager who failed to play him all the way through the season, um, I think that there is a responsibility there on Neil Lennon. The other one I would say in terms of the signings, David Turnbull, who obviously was nominated as one of the young players of the year this year, uh, one of the, the, the very few bright sparks of a disappointing season, barely featured until he was thrown into a dead rubber in Europe. And you've got to ask your questions there as to why as well, Great Panthing, because that's down to the manager, surely, because he's picking the team. Yeah, the manager's got to take responsibility for picking the team, but I don't think we can... We're on here to discuss where it went wrong for 10 in a row. I don't think David Turnbull not playing earlier in the season when Celtic had their best results of the season is the reason that we've not won 10 in a row. David Turnbull also was coming back from a very long-term injury. True, he was playing games for Motherwell, but ask anybody who's joined a professional club in Scotland and moved to Celtic, the level of training, the intensity, etc. is far higher. He needed time to get acclimatised to it. And he was brought into the team eventually the idea that Neil Lennon didn't rate David Turnbull is just absolute madness. It was him who actually bought him. You know, when you when, when you look at the, the signings, and again, I know that a lot of uh, targets were missed out on, um, do you think there's a situation, or there was a situation at that time, when there was too much interference from others at the club when it came to selecting, identifying and purchasing players? And I mean, Peter Law, I mean, I'm just going to say it, you know, people are calling him the de facto director of football, uh, deciding whether or not players come and go. Uh, and when the season has gone the way it's gone, uh, fans can be forgiven for, you know, putting two and two together and sometimes getting five. But oftentimes as well, Great Pantheon, the fans are spot on when they're looking at the situation. Was that part of the issue as well? Was there not enough control by the manager in terms of who comes in? I think, first of all, you've got to understand Peter's been very good for Celtic. However, I think in the summer, Peter... As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
and the board made a huge mistake. Between March and June, these players were sitting at home and they were getting contacted by agents, getting seeds sown into their minds about potential moves to other clubs. At the same time, Celtic are sitting up there sending out season ticket renewals to fans, heading into a, what we hoped would be a historic season. And the message from the fans was quite simple. You sell Edward, you're selling 10 the road down the river. You sell Ayer, you're selling 10 the road down the river. You don't invest in new players, you're selling 10 the road down the river. So Peter Wall and the board actually done what the fans wanted. Sell nobody, keep everybody. That was, that was the line the fans were shouting. The fans got what they wanted, and unfortunately, it's backfired. Could we not uh, throw in everything at Fraser Foster? You know, we're talking about that, obviously, we did keep everyone well. We never, we never kept Fraser Foster. I appreciate, obviously, he wanted to, to go back down to Southampton, of course, and the, the player holds that sort of power now. We all, we all are sort of aware of that. But really, then you look at the replacement... <laughs> Was Lennon totally and utterly confident in Barkas? Because since he's certainly not shown that, you know, he'd thrown him under the bus, he wasn't quite ready. What about at the time? Did, did he really, was he his number one? There was talks of David Marshall. You can't tell me that many Celtic fans wouldn't have been impressed with David Marshall. I'm not just saying that because of everything that he's done for Scotland. We could all see it. There's been years that we've been calling for Marshall. But for me, the big one is Fraser Foster. Mm. How close was he to signing, do you think, Fraser Foster? We know that there was great efforts to, to extend his stay at Celtic Park. Everybody at Celtic thought Fraser Foster was coming back to Celtic. He actually turned up in the summer to train with Celtic and then he just went missing and went back to Southampton and he had no interest in coming back to Celtic. Fraser's been a great Celtic player. So I don't think there should be any kind of pile on in Fraser. He played a huge part in winning the quadruple treble. But unfortunately, he's a grown man. He's got a contract at Southampton. Neil couldn't go down to Solon and drag him up the road kicking and screaming back into the goals at Lennox Town. It's not how it works. He didn't want to come. With respect to Barkas, Celtic missed out on Fraser Foster, who's a top-class goalkeeper. I personally do not think that David Marshall would have cut it in the eyes of the supporters as a replacement. Celtic did sign a Greek international goalkeeper with Champions League experience for quite a substantial amount of money. He's not settled in. It's not worked out. There'll be better players, there'll be worse players than Barkas. They just have a transfer that doesn't quite work for them. Do we not hold on to Gordon then? No, sorry. Sorry, Natasha. Yeah, no, the thing I agree with about this is that on paper... That summer recruitment was fine. The keeping the players that we kept was fine. The summer recruitment of an international goalkeeper, a Yeti, Duffy, Elianusi, Turnbull, Laxalt, on paper, that all looks absolutely fine. You know, those are the sort of players that the fans wanted to bring in. We kept the players like you've talked about, the Edwards, the Ayers, the Christies. That is what the fans wanted in the summer. But it's then up to the people who are at the club to make it work. We've kept the right players, we've brought in the right players and for whatever reason on the pitch that that just did not come together and the people in the dugout didn't have the ability to bring that together into a successful team that could get the performances and the points that we needed. So it's not so much what we did in terms of keeping and not keeping and hindsight is a different thing. It's about the fact that 
for some reason, we just couldn't get this to work on the pitch. And for me, that's where the management team as a whole fell flat for us this season. Great. Pantheon, would you like to expand on that? Yeah, I think we all agree that the standards at Celtic Park should be as high as possible, as high as they were under Brendan Rodgers. So I think we're all in agreement with that. Yeah? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible this season. As I said previously, things like video analysis, Celtic could not do team video analysis in the period between coming back in July and December. They couldn't do it. Who could? So unfor- they couldn't do it in person the way it needs to be done. You were working around things. We never had a full staff at Lennox Town. I know these things seem like excuses. However, they're not excuses. They're facts. This was a season like no other. I get that they're difficult situations. They are obviously going to hinder any sort of performance and ability on the pitch, and it is going to make things more difficult. But for me, they're not anything that didn't affect everyone else. I'm sure Rangers didn't have a full complement of backroom staff. I'm sure they didn't have the same level of video analysis. For me, we didn't. We weren't able to make the most of the situation in the way that other clubs were. We weren't able to achieve the maximum in the circumstances like other clubs were. And we then hindered ourselves and shot ourselves in the foot with some terrible decision-making, such as that trip to Dubai. Now, the trip to Dubai is something that I was going to ask around. Uh, Before I do that, on Amy's point, Fraser Foster, we've got Maravchik coming in to say you don't punt Gordon until Foster has definitely said no. I I do think that was, I know that there would have been a scenario where maybe we believed Foster was coming in. He's come back for pre-season training, like you said. I wasn't aware of that. Um, And we're maybe on a promise. We're maybe on a promise that Fraser Foster's coming back. But we allowed Craig Gordon to go. Do you think that was a massive error or is that just time? doing its usual great pantheon I don't think Celtic did allow Craig Gordon to go I think Craig Gordon is a grown man with a contract that had expired decided that he wanted to leave Celtic Celtic offered him a more financially rewarding contract than Hearts did however Craig Gordon wanted guarantees that he was going to be the club's number one Celtic couldn't offer him those guarantees so he went back to Hearts it wasn't Celtic's choice to get rid of him. It was his choice to leave. Can I just jump in? Sorry, just before we talk about Dubai. One last question for you, Grepanthian. Sorry, before we we do go on to to Dubai, you're using the phrase quite a lot. They're grown men. Lennon himself is a grown man. You know, I think we've spoke a lot about the COVID, and I appreciate I cut out a little bit, so you might have already said this, but. We came into the season knowing that we were in a pandemic. We didn't start the season in the pandemic arose. We were in a pandemic a year ago. Okay, so we knew that there was going to be a tough summer. There was always possible outbreaks that our club would suffer, as many other clubs suffered. So would that not have been the time? I appreciate we all thought we had a great transfer window. We certainly did. Um, as Paul says, we all sort of jumped on that. The, the tweets were there. Everything that looked a great window. There could have easily have been perhaps a scope there for for youth development as a backup. Maybe a man, a good man manager, would have thought of that there's opportunities that we could have had outbreaks but the point that I really wanted to touch on was he said that obviously the players had to turn up uh, in their training kits and that integration perhaps wasn't there does it not then take 
for a man manager, a, a tremendous man manager, perhaps maybe what's happening otherwise in the country, you know, you see a lot of unity. You know, Ronnie Dyla gets a lot of stick amongst the Celtic fans. Uh, at the time, I wasn't perhaps a, a fan of the Ronnie Roar, but maybe a, a lot of players and they, they all got behind him. You look at Brendan Rodgers, you remember the scenes at Tynecastle, everyone, they were all holding their hands and going up and, and doing this sort of motion. Uh, perhaps it doesn't look the greatest and it's maybe a little bit corny at the time, but it shows a bit of unity. There has been a severe lack of unity among Celtic this season and we can't just put it down to COVID and that the, oh, they, they couldn't hold each other's hands or whatever. There was seriously, seriously, seriously lack of integration. They did not look like a team. How come, in, even though other clubs were going through the same pandemic as us, the same pandemic as everybody in the world, that they could show unity? You see, you know, you do see, you see Stephen Gerrard's side, he, he had his team as a team, not individuals, as a team. As Paul said, we, we lost Fraser Foster, but we still had Scott Brown, Callum McGregor. We had that spine of that team. There was not that unity. They looked lost. How many times have we seen Callum McGregor in a uh, post-match interview afterwards looking lost? Surely there is a severe lack of unity amongst this team and that has to come from the management. I think we can all agree that there's things that Celtic could have done this season to make things go better. Nobody's in here wanting to whitewash the season and say everything is done perfect. That's not the case, but there is mitigating factors. With regards to unity, I think we've been a bit rewriting the history if we're saying Ronnie Dyla and Brendan Rogers had these great unified teams. All you need to do is look at Chris Commons, Charlie Mulgrew with Ronnie Dyla, look at Boyata Dembele with uh, Brendan Rogers. You're never going to have a fully a full team who are all best pals. The only thing you need to do is win together. In terms of the unity, what brings Celtic together? is the Celtic fans. Celtic missed their fans more than any other team. And if you don't believe me, you can speak to people who actually played for the club. John Collins is on record as Celtic missing the fans more than anybody else. Paul Lambert is on record as Celtic missing the fans more than anybody else. None of these guys have got an ulterior motive. Celtic need their fans. We've all been there in big European nights when the fans have been the 12th man. I've never seen St Johnston fans roll their team to victory at McDermott Park. It doesn't happen, but it does happen at Celtic Park. What I'm going to say uh, before I go any any further, Great Banthorn, is uh, fair play to you to come on uh, actually and face us three, um, because obviously there is always that risk of a narrative creeping into a podcast or a show like a Celtic State of Mind. So fair play for uh, coming in and taking us on, um, because a lot of people probably wouldn't relish that. Now, what I would say though is one thing that. And this is me as a fan observing from afar, looking at what's happened this season. I felt that the interview after the Ferenc Varos game was pivotal in this unity that I think Amy's alluding to there. Um, kind of falling apart a wee bit, you know. Neil Lennon came out and I think what he was trying to do, and this is just me observing it, I think he was trying to get a reaction out of some players who might have been the want-away players. And I say might have been, because I'm not in the dressing room. Um, and try to get a reaction out of them. So he's, he's actually called him out on it 
It was quite bullish and I don't think he got the response he was going for because it almost seemed, and this is a bit of a football cliche I'm going to use here, that some of the players downed tools. Now, I know that I'm questioning the professionalism by saying that, but the, the level of the performance, the drop in performance, a lot of football fans say he's down tools. Do you think that was a pivotal uh, part of the season, Great Pantheon, when Neil Lennon came out and he actually said there's guys in that dressing room don't want to be here? I don't think so. I don't think these guys even really read the press that much. Um, with hindsight, should they have said it? Maybe not. But he tried absolutely everything to get a performance out of these guys. He tried mollycoddling them. He tried calling them out. Neil Lennon was actually going round to these guys' houses during lockdown, standing two metres outside the front door of these guys' houses, making sure they were all right, making sure their families were all right. He tried everything. Unfortunately, with the lack of confidence in the squad, which the fans played a part in, and missing players through COVID, we just went into a snowball effect, results suffered, and unfortunately we are where we are. We are, and one final thing for you, thanks for your time. It, it has been very interesting, as I say, fair play for coming on. Um, Dubai, let's talk no about Dubai. Um, the, the Dubai fiasco, um, you know, some people think it was the final straw. Um, you know, Neil Lennon came out and said it was my decision. And I'm not calling him a liar. I think he was just trying to take responsibility. Obviously, the decision may have been made by those with more control at the club. It was a very costly decision. Of course it was. And uh, not just because of the flak, but the fact that we lost 13 players for two league games. I think the wheels had already come off, personally, of, of our challenge at that stage. Um, you know, and not even with hindsight, but at the time, Great Pantheon, we were saying on a Celtic state of mind, this is a bad idea. How could no one at the club see that I think everybody at the club knew that it came with an element of risk the trip was fully risk assessed and we decided to go ahead with it unfortunately the parameters used for that risk assessment were changed after one positive test the two metre rule that Celtic had been adhering to on planes and buses all of a sudden changed to three metres and that resulted in 13 players missing two games and two weeks of training. For, for me, this issue about the rules changing is really concerning and I hope that the club have taken someone to task over that. I hope that that has been questioned and I hope that the reasoning for that has been explored because for me, that was a massive issue that got brushed under the carpet. If Celtic were fully complying with the rules and then all of a sudden the rules changed after we'd complied with them, for me, that's a massive issue that seems to have just gone away and I hope that you know someone has been questioning that but that aside let's say that we the trip was risk assessed the government did approve it we were legally allowed to go for me that doesn't really get to the crux of the issue with the Dubai trip we're talking about a time during lockdown where the fans were all struggling no one was able to see their families no one was allowed to leave their house never mind the country and all of a sudden we've got a team being flown to Dubai because they need to train in warm weather like no one else across most of Europe does, but this Celtic team need to get some sun and train in the heat. To me, it came across as arrogant. To me, it looked like the club was really detached from the way that the fans were feeling right then. So even if the trip was approved, condoned, legal, I still can't get my head around why the club thought this was a good idea. 
I don't think you can defend indefensible. In my own personal opinion, Celtic should not have went to Dubai. It was a mistake. However, we also have to look at the timeline. When Celtic went to Dubai, it was after Celtic arrived in Dubai that we went back into lockdown. The day Celtic went to Dubai, you could still go to Brayhead and get your Christmas shopping just a few days before then and the lead up to Christmas. So Dubai shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't have went, in my opinion. However, like everything else this season, we just walked into the perfect storm. We are all Celtic supporters, great Pantheon, and we're trying to look ahead. We're trying to be positive with uh, a new arrival. Do you have the same concerns as certainly myself that there has to be a culture shift within the club? Is it as big as that, or do you think there was never an issue with the culture of, of the playing side of things? I don't think there's an issue with the culture within the club in terms of a lack of professionalism or anything like that. People are making assumptions that things do not happen at Celtic Park. Things like analytics, scouting opposition, all these things. People just assume it's not been done. It has been done. It is. Unfortunately, it doesn't guarantee results, but we have won four trebles in a row prior to this season. If we manage to do that, without scouting, without using analytics, then there would be something badly wrong. Now, as I said before, thank you very much for joining us. Um, yes, it did seem as though you were entering the lion's den, so fair play to you. You are welcome to come back. Hopefully when you do, it will be under better circumstances. Great Pantheon, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. I would just like to say I hope uh, Scott Brown can go out on a high tonight and a great servant to Celtic should also be remembered as a final word that it was Neil who made himself the captain when his time looked as if it might be up under Tony Mowbray and then again when Neil came back to the club Brendan Rodgers was all for Scott Brown going to Australia so funny how things work out There's a good decision by Neil I'll give him that one All the best for Scott Brown Scott Brown Absolutely Thank you very much Thanks for your time and um, hopefully we can catch up again. Thank you. So there we have it. Uh, we have been talking about the case for the defence uh, in relation to Neil Lennon and Great Pantheon doesn't think that there is a culture shift required at the club. Um, I think a lot of Celtic fans may disagree with that. Let's see what happens tomorrow on the fans forum when we will be addressed by Dominic Mackay. Now, I do have Scott Coyne waiting patiently in the wings. Scott Coyne is a Celtic season ticket holder with a great interest and knowledge of Belgian football. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's nice to be in the company of some fellow Celts as always. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, we've been talking quite a bit this season about Jack Hendry, um, the much maligned Jack Hendry, because obviously he came in um, under Brendan Rodgers, and, and as far as we know, he was a Brendan Rodgers signing. I know that some players that came in around about that time, uh, Brendan is certainly not putting his name on, but but Jack Hendry was one that was scouted and selected by Brendan Rodgers. It didn't quite work out for him, Scott, and uh, people always go back to what has become almost a meme, um, whereby he uh, goes for a wee wander at Partick Thistle, I'm not quite sure where he's going and they've been used, that's been used almost as a stick to hit him with, you know uh, in relation to, I call it the, the Partick Pirouet rather than anything else because he just kept running with the ball until he ran out of ideas but anyway, he went away on loan, he had a bad injury didn't he, over in Australia uh, but he's found his feet, 
So I thought, well, who best to speak to than yourself? What's your connection with Belgian football? Tell us a wee bit about your podcast. Well, um, I, I get asked this quite a lot. You know, what's the Scotsman just outside Glasgow um, doing kind of covering Belgian football? I, I've been lucky to spend some time in Belgium and do some travelling there, um, visiting a number of the cities, um, getting to know it kind of quite well. It's a country I've got a lot of affection for. My partner as well has actually got a, a Belgian ancestry, so that's that's one of the reasons why I've kind of spent so much time there. Um, big fan of Belgian beer as well, but that's for another show. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and I chocolate that, as well, don't forget the chocolate, Scott. Yeah, yeah, they go very well together actually, you know what I mean, especially if they're authentically Belgian ones, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think my, my love of football and, and Belgium are bound to come together at some point. And the founder of the Belgian podcast, um, Ben Jackson, who's, who's based in London, me and Ben kind of um, passed accidentally uh, each other's pass and kind of got chatting and it kind of grew arms and legs from there and he, he invited me on board kind of quite quickly and I jumped at the chance uh, for for a number of reasons and um, we've been developing the show over the the course of this season and it's been going very, very well, developing a nice audience, people are finding us, so yeah. Brilliant. No, it's, it's one of these things when it comes to Celtic players that come in, we can we can be very critical, we can write them off and I often wonder sometimes of the lone players that have gone out this season, will we be in a situation where one or some may come back, they may come back and actually forge a career out at Celtic. Now it's obvious that uh, Jack Kendry is going to be one of the guys we talk about yeah. because he's, he seems to have played so so well. Um, have we been unfair on him? Do you think it's one of these things where we've written him off too early? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I, I've, I've written him off um, and I hope maybe not a few or wrote him off. Uh, I hope not many people have either. I think he's still young. I think he was thrown under the bus a little bit when he was here. He, like you say, he was still so young. I think we need to take it into consideration. Obviously, he came from Dundee. It's a totally different setup, a totally different formation, and a totally different mentality. You know, you're coming from a side that's just, you're just really at that time, they were just right win any game at any point survival is key then you're walking into a model obviously where you're expected then to win every single game it was a bit shaky it wasn't really coming in you know how many times have we, we spoke about Celtic's defensive back line you know it's, it's not the strongest and perhaps it's not always the best to try and bed somebody into um, but you know fair play to him I think more than anything I think here we've got to take a step back maybe from Celtic and actually really just applaud Jack Hendry you know going out to Australia yes injury didn't uh, obviously hampered that journey out there and didn't make it maybe the, the best move but then going out to Belgium he's obviously he's found his bit obviously everybody's you, you can see clips or whatever I think recently there's there's been that, that clip on Twitter that he's, he's totally arguing with his, his teammate um, and you know that's great to see look at the confidence in him there you know he's uh -huh. arguing with someone else his teammate and, and he's totally right as well if you actually see the, the goal Henry's not at fault at all it is his partner but he's there's a there's a confidence there that, that wasn't there when he was at Celtic he was still ridiculous ridiculously young when he was here though yeah. so it's great to see you know we've seen him in the Scotland side as well I thought he looked comfortable I really did um, you know playing with decent players beside them comfortable players he was playing in that back three that's really exciting as well he sort of seen I think he even said it himself he wanted to be the, the main man the middle man in that three because that's mm. what he does out in Belgium mm -hmm. you know that's great look at that confidence he's coming with that's something that we are so lacking you know we just spoke about unity in, that, in this, this Celtic side this season that there's such a lack of we're talking about that spine that is 
he is emulating what we're saying with Chris Iyer right now you know that he's that powerhouse at the back he's got that presence everything that you can see right now for Jack Hendry that, that's what we're seeing and I know and well I'm hoping obviously Scott will, will back us up on that well before you uh, go on to tell us how he's performed Scott um, what's Belgian for airheads you know <laughs> uh, yeah that famous that famous clip how has he improved since he's gone over to Belgian football I think this is a case of a player who, you know, has gone out on loan uh, to get regular football and um, has just improved immeasurably. I mean, it's night and day. I mean, I remember some of those early games um, under Brendan Rodgers where he really did have a torrid time. Um, and, I, you know, I can, I can remember some of the abuse he kind of got from the stands at games. And it, it was just, it was, it was you know dire, you know, for a player's confidence and kind of wrecked his ability to make any progress and, and, and bed in quickly then. He's gone out to Australia, had a really nasty injury, kind of came back and then the opportunities come up to go out to Belgium. And I, I think I was very excited actually when he got the opportunity to do this because I thought here's a club where I think he will get regular football at a good level as well. You know, it's one of the top 10 leagues, uh, the Belgian league, and it's a very underrated league physically. Um, it's very demanding and Tactically, it's a very strong league as well. So it's a great, a great league for a young player to develop. And he's played um, twenty eight, twenty eight appearances for Ustend this season. Twenty six of them have been starts. Um, and since his first one, he's never really looked back. He's he's a big character in that dressing room, as Amy was saying. Um, mm-hmm. It's very difficult to see that Ustend side without him now. He's he's bulked up physically. He's a different mm-hmm. player physically. I think he's stronger. I think his reading of the game is unbelievably good now. You know, that's something that, you know, um, just wasn't there before. Um, so he's he's learned and he's learned quickly. Um, and he's just, yeah, it's it's rare for a player to go out and, and do so well on loan as he has done. And I think he's, he's found that confidence, uh, which shows all the time. And he's a key player in that dressing room now in Oostend. Um, they love him there. He's very comfortable there. I know that him and his girlfriend have been staying in uh, Bruges, which is about half an hour from Oostend. So it's, mm. it's easy to access the training ground and, and the rest of Belgium from there. Um, so he's just he's just kind of he's almost become the finished article now in the player that I think perhaps uh, Brendan Rodgers saw in him when he when he signed him from from Dundee. I think his pass succession rate as well over the season is well above eighty percent. It's near ninety percent, and that's across those twenty eight games. So mm-hmm. that's high. That's high, especially for a centre half. So yeah, um, yeah. And when you think about the amount of time, I think that's one of the reasons why Shane Duffy did not uh, fit at Celtic, is when you play centre-half for Celtic, you've got to be a good passer of the ball, you've got to be comfortable with the ball at your feet. I think Julian and Ayer complement each other in that respect. Ayer likes to run with the ball, Julian likes to distribute it all over the park. And I'm looking at uh, some of the the previous loan deals that we've had that have uh, turned out to be a success, some not by design, it's got to be said. So Chris Ayer was loaned out to Kilmar that was by design and we knew he was coming back and it was all about his development I think when uh, Ryan Christie was at Aberdeen many Celtic fans wouldn't really have batted an eyelid had that deal been made permanent at the time he comes back and he had he'd improved incredibly um, 
physically as well I think we, we all noticed the physical change in Ryan Christie when he came back and then Callum McGregor I actually think that uh, the club would have you know offloaded him had there not been a change in manager uh, he had never played a game under Neil Lennon in the first tenure um, and obviously Ronnie Daly gave, a, gave McGregor his debut do you think that Jack Hendry's done enough do you think that he can come back and be a success like Ayer and Christie and McGregor I think Celtic has to keep an open mind. I would like to think that that's, that's the way they're going to approach this. Um, and I would hate to think Jack Hendry is going to be another one who got away um, because I, I think he's exceeded expectations there. And I think he's now in a place where I, I, I think Celtic should be seriously reconsidering about whether they want to bring him back into the fold. I know the biggest factor for Jack is going to be some kind of guarantee regular football again. Mm-hmm. He's open to coming back. He's, he said that very publicly, actually, in Belgium, that he's you know he, he would like to come back to Celtic. Uh, but equally, I think he'd be happy to stay at Oostend as well. I think the key factor here is going to be who... Yeah, who can make it clear to him that they want him more and and that he has a has a place there? Um, obviously, you know the, the situation with Big Chris Ayers fluid. We don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, Christopher Julian isn't going to be fit for the start of the season, um, so there is the very real possibility that there could be an opening for Jack there. Um, I would like to think the club have had some conversations with him about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would certainly be the smart thing to do, just so he knows exactly, you know. Uh, where, where he stands on things. As I understand it as well, there's a clause in the contract that says that the deal, the option that Oostend have um, to sign him has to be exercised and completed by the end of May. Um, and they're very keen to do that. So there might be an element, some room here for Celtic to potentially sort of stall on those discussions a little bit so that that option expires. That, that That's right. one option open to the club. Um, but I think... Ultimately, Jack will decide himself, I think, probably whether he comes back or whether he decides to to, to stay in Belgium. But I think the club have got a a tough decision to make here because... um, Yeah, I I think it's... I'd quite like to see him back, but I've, Mm -hmm. I've, I've obviously... I've had the benefit of seeing him pretty much every week since since his first game in Belgium and um, I, I think that though the hard time that he had at the start, I think people need to kind of see beyond that now and just, because I can assure everybody having been watching him every week that, you know, I, I think there could be a place for Jack um, depending on obviously who the new head coach at Celtic is going to be as well and that will be a big factor I think in his decision. Absolutely. I think when you look at the season we've just had and the fact that, you know, uh, we've been crying out for a centre-half, someone who can actually defend a set-piece, um, that's uh, a lot of the time where I'm saying, what about Jack Kendry? Some of the comments that come in, remember the Jack Kendry that we've seen before, some haven't been as impressed as Amy with his international performances. But I just think, like you say, he's given us a decision to make, whereas uh, prior to him going out there, I don't think anyone would have, again, like the Ryan Christie thing, would have been that surprised if he just left the club like so many before him and he's written off as a bad buy. Um, I hope that he does come back and I hope that um, he he makes us eat our words, uh, those who criticise them. And we can look back on that Partick Thistle foray in the middle of the park uh, and just say, look at the player he became. Now, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hopefully we can do this again. Um, I really enjoyed your input today. We've spoken to David Slide 
light about the ownership of Celtic, great pantheon about the case for Neil Lennon's defence, and then Scott Coyne, all about Jack Hendry. Um, if you want to get involved in the Dialing Show, get in touch. You can do that on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and drop us a line, and we'll get you involved. All that's left for me to say. Thank you to Amy Canavan, Scott Coyne, Natasha Miko, uh, great pantheon, uh, and also David Slight for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.